sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Oh, yeah. It's that time. Welcome in. Cover it with Teddy Covers here on SiriusXM. Channel 159, the Sports Grid Radio Network. Over the course of the next hour, we're going to hang out with Andy Isco at VegasAndy711 uh, on Twitter. And obviously, week zero of college football is today. We're going to break down the college football world. We're going to look for bet on teams, bet against teams, what we look for before the season starts to give us an edge. Now the season is here. We're going to talk about what to do if you haven't done any college football prep just yet. It'll be a good discussion with Vegas Andy, Andy Isco, a legend in this town here in Las Vegas. But before we get into college football and week zero, I want to talk about something that happened on Thursday night. And it was in a baseball game. But the concept from this baseball game absolutely carries over to what we're going to see this football season more than once. It was Thursday night. The Orioles were down 3-2 to two in the bottom of the ninth. They had two out. They had nobody on. The rookie, Kyle Stowers, was at the plate and his 130 career batting average. He had one extra base hit, which came in his first major league game. He was called up for two games in June, and this was his fifth game in August. So he had uh, I think a double his first game and hadn't had an uh, extra base hit since. So Stowers has got the, an 0-2 count versus Liam Hendricks, who, by the way, elite closer. His last blown save came in May. 18 straight conversions. And, of course, I'm sure you've seen the highlights. You know, uh, Stowers hits a pop-up fly down the left field line. Adam Engel, who had entered the game as a defensive replacement, dropped the third out. And that was the uh, White Sox third error in that ball game. Oops. <laughs> Hendricks then allows the game tying home run. I think it was on the next pitch or two pitches later. Uh, Hendricks gave it the game tying home run to Stowers. The first time in big league history or whatever it was since they've been keeping these type of stats that a guy uh, <laughs> get his first big league home run down 0-2 with two, uh, with two outs and nobody on in the ninth to tie the game. Whatever it was. It was... You know, uh, remarkable. The game went to extra innings, but the White Sox were done after that home run. They really were. They didn't advance the runner off a second base in the 10th. They didn't advance the runner off second base in the 11th. They looked pretty lifeless in those final two innings offensively. And Baltimore walked it off in the 11th. So if you have the White Sox, all you're saying, oh, man, brutal, beat, bad, beat, two outs, two strikes, ninth inning, closer on the hill, we lost. Oh, that's brutal. Incredibly lucky. For Orioles backers, of which I was one, and I agree with all of that. It was a bad beat for White Sox backers. It was a very lucky win for Orioles backers. I'm not going to cash a whole lot of tickets where I'm down to my last strike in MLB again this season, even though I cashed one with Baltimore on Thursday night. But this is a key lesson for football season to remember. Winning teams find ways to win. Losing teams find ways to lose. And we'll go further than that. Overachieving teams, like the Baltimore Orioles, find ways to win in football. Underachieving teams, like the Chicago White Sox, 
find ways to lose. In football, I would always, often, I can't say always, I'd often rather have my money on a good chemistry team like the Baltimore Orioles, even if they have less talent than the bad chemistry team like the Chicago White Sox. And it's really worth noting, all right, this is one area where you guys are better than the pros, okay? The wise guys, the guys who make their living betting on sports, the guys who make, you know, many, many big bets on a weekly basis, the wise guys fall in love with statistical profiles. They fall in love with projections. The marketplace is going to look at, oh, this team gained a whole bunch of yards. Oh, look at these great players on this team. And the marketplace, which, make no mistake about it, the betting markets are designed not for recreational bettors. They're designed to beat the wise guys. <laughs> okay? So when you see a scenario in which the wise guys, we've seen it every year, they're going to find one or two teams in the NFL. Oh, look at the analytics. Oh, the analytics are good. Oh, look at their statistical profile. Their statistical profile is great. I understand that. But losing teams find way to lose winnable games. Winning teams, good chemistry teams, find ways to win winnable games. And if you just keep that in the back of your mind throughout the course of this football season, all right, whether it's the NFL, whether it's college, I don't fall in love with statistical profiles. Never. Or close to never. But I absolutely am interested in backing teams who don't have the statistical profile but find ways to win games. You break down the Orioles and the White Sox, the White Sox are, they have the better starting pitcher, they have the better lineup, uh, they have the better bullpen, et cetera, et cetera. But the chemistry isn't there. Chemistry matters in sports. It matters a lot in football, which is truly a team game, doesn't matter how many good one player is. The team has to be working together. So one of the things I'm looking for very early in the season, week one in college football, week one in the NFL, I'm looking to find teams with the positive chemistry, and I'm taking a look at the body language so I can be betting against some of the teams with the negative chemistry. Okay, Andy Isco, the good Andy, coming up next. We're going to talk college football when coverage continues after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back. Cover it with Teddy Covers here on SiriusXM Channel 159, the SportsGrid Radio Network. I'm excited to bring in our guest today. We're going to get extended time with Andy Isco at VegasAndy711 uh, on Twitter. We're going to break down the world of college football. He's going to give us some suggestions on what to do if you're just starting your college football handicapping right now. We're going to talk about some bet on teams, some bet against teams, talk about how long the work that you did over the summer is good for. And yeah, maybe we'll get a little week one, week zero. See if we can get a bettable opinion from Andy before all is said and done. Mr. Isco, the good Andy, welcome to the program. Teddy, it's uh, good to be with you. It was nice seeing you and all the, uh, uh, most of the handicapping community last week at that uh, uh, 
reception they had over at uh, at Westgate gears up the interest and the excitement because at that time we knew it was just one Saturday away from the first uh, few games of the 2022 season, which is uh, now upon us. Exactly. Week zero goes today. Uh, in uh, college football. But before we get into week zero, before we get into any of this, I want to ask you about something I was talking about in the uh, in the, the intro on today's show. And I was talking about specifically, it was a brutal beat if you had the White Sox on Thursday night against the Orioles with two outs and two strikes and a rookie who's never done anything uh, at the plate against an elite closer. And, of course, the rookie who's never done anything hits the home run and the White Sox uh, go on to lose and the Orioles go on to win. And my point was that not that it's a direct correlation to football, but the concept of a team like Baltimore that is overachieving to their talent level, that has positive chemistry, in comparison to a team like Chicago that has underachieved to their talent level all year, that has dicey chemistry that you can see on the field every time they play. Does that carry over to football? Because I found winning teams find ways to win, losing teams find ways to lose. And if you can identify those teams in September, you can make money with them all year long. Agree or disagree? I agree mostly. It's always difficult to uh, determine in advance how long that chemistry will remain at the level uh, that you uh, that you determined it was good enough to start playing on that team. Now, you mentioned Thursday night's game between Baltimore and Chicago. You had a similar game uh, with the Red Sox and uh, Toronto with, uh, was it bottom of the ninth, I think it was, or bottom, I think it was bottom of the ninth, where the Red Sox had bases loaded, nobody out in the tie game, yeah. couldn't score. Toronto scores the top of the next inning. We'd seen a team like Boston with really poor chemistry over the last uh, month or so after they appeared to make a run. And by the same token, Toronto's had some good chemistry. So that's uh, two examples within probably minutes of each other on on Thursday night. In football, I think it's a little bit different because of the physical nature of the game. Chemistry certainly, uh, good chemistry I don't think can be a negative, but I don't know if it lasts more than just a week to week. Unless uh, I think it works more with teams that were not expected to have high expectations and suddenly start having this magical season. At the same time, I think negative uh, chemistry does carry over if you're one of the elite teams that has been struggling for a good part of the season and things just can't seem to resolve themselves. So it is a handicapping factor. I still like to look at the fundamentals of the matchup. I don't know how much the uh, the uh, let's call it the intangibles of emotion would be factored into the line as perhaps it might be factored into the line moves that occur after the uh, uh, the betting line is established. So it is one of the factors that I do consider. Uh, the question is just how long do I see it carry over? I just uh, It probably carries over as far as that team's next, uh, let's say, subpar performance. Not necessarily measured by the points, but, but just measured by the overall flow of a game where they end up losing after, uh, well, perfect example, we see teams in baseball get on winning streaks and, and uh, because it's a daily game in the NBA as well, but certainly in baseball, teams get onto lengthy winning streaks, five, six, seven, eight games, and then that momentum continues to carry over, and then when they finally lose a game, or in the case of a losing streak, finally win a game, that ending result, that win after all those losses or a loss after all those wins, seems to carry over for another game or two. So I'm going to give you two clear examples from last year in college football about a team that way overachieved to their talent level and a team that way underachieved to their talent level. And both of them showed exactly what they were going to be in September. Okay, Mel Tucker's Michigan State Spartans. 
were point spread monsters last year, one of the best point spread teams in the country. They showed early on we are better than our overall talent level would indicate, and they proceeded basically to kick butt and take names all year long, a monster point spread team. Compare them to the Washington Huskies, who already had a lame duck head coach by uh, uh, midway through the season, and a team that showed real early, hey, we're not any good this year when they got bombed at Michigan early on. They had a couple of patsies, they beat them at home, and then the rest of the way, they were garbage bet against basically beginning to end for the Washington Huskies. So teams can show their stripes real early when it comes to chemistry and overachieve and underachieve based on their talent level. Because the betting markets never caught up with how good Michigan State was last year, and they really never really caught up with how uh, bad uh, Washington was. Agree, Andy, or disagree? Well, it's sort of, uh, again, you know, look at Michigan State, for example, and of course, one thing we do have to remember about last year, 2021, it was the first season following the uh, unusual season of COVID that canceled a lot of games and basically was limited to in-conference play for teams that played anywhere from, say, five to nine games or uh, in in that range. And Michigan State, I, I recall when, uh, and it was Mel Tucker's first season at Michigan State, and I know that the hiring was not highly thought of when it occurred after the previous uh, 2020 season, uh, 2019 season, rather. And uh, they ended up going, I think it was something like uh, two and five or two and six in 2020. So they lived to the expectations of the coaches hiring, but again, it was that unusual season, and it got, I throw out a lot of what happened in 2020 because the playing field was so different for virtually every team. They got off to that quick start with that uh, slight upset of Northwestern and things continued to roll and I think that that indicates one of two things. Either the judgment on Tucker was harsh or maybe the talent level on Michigan State, especially when you compared it to the season before, was better than we thought and they rode that wave of momentum deep into the season. But they went, I think, like seven or eight straight games before they finally suffered a defeat. And somewhat similar for Washington, uh, they also uh, tended to uh, come off of a disappointing season and ended up actually making, um, I'm trying to recall the season two years ago uh, when it was the uh, uh, the COVID season, but I remember Washington also was going through a period of uh, transition, and, and um, as I take a look at the, the Huskies right now, they only played four games in 2020. Uh, they ended up winning three of the four, uh, but that was basically no season, so they hadn't played a lot of football uh, since uh, really the uh, 2019 season. So uh, Jimmy Lake was in his second full season. Really didn't get to coach much in 20 in, in 2020 with the uh, uh, with the late starting season and the four games. So uh, that may have just been one of those teams that was a combination of rust talent and new coach really trying to uh, uh, to find his way. But the examples are or what I was going to point out about the examples. There are going to be teams like that every season that get off the slow starts and continue to fade, and other teams teams that get off the slow starts and continue or, or start to reverse it. I remember, oh, what was it, a few years ago, well, maybe more than a few years ago, Miami of Ohio, I think, started 0-6, and, and then they won six straight games and made it to a bowl game. I mean, that's a similar type pattern, and that's an example just of a team trying to figure it out. Look at the Miami Dolphins last year in the NFL, 0-7, and, and then they turned things around. What they didn't do much for the coach who got fired, but that was related to other you know, off-the-field uh, personality issues. There are always going to be teams uh, that you want to take a look at in September, and hopefully you can identify the right ones. But each year unfolds differently. You rarely see it out of the elite teams, however. Well, I mean, one thing that you want to do early on, you know, it, I'm trying to make judgments about teams as quickly as I can. 
you know, we've got opinions when it comes to going into the season. But I either want my opinions, yes, confirmed, or no, you were wrong about this team. You re reassess as quickly as possible. So, obviously, when you talk about the first few games of the season, a lot of times those results are magnified. And if you can find a team that misrepresents who they are in the first few weeks of the season, I talked about this on the show last week, those are teams you can make money with all year long in college football. So much more with Andy Isco coming up next after this brief commercial message. Stay tuned. Coverage continues. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. We've got extended time with the good Andy today, breaking down the world of college football here on Cover It with Teddy Covers, Sirius XM, the channel 159. And Andy, let's get into it right here, right now, of course, uh, at VegasAndy711 on Twitter. When it comes to off-season prep in college football, you and I are professional handicappers. This is what we do full-time. We're good to go. At least I think I'm good to go. And I'm, if I know you, <laughs> you're good to go as well. But what advice do you have for someone who's a casual fan? They're just getting started today on college football. Where would you tell people to go for accurate info? And what advice would you give them when it comes to betting week zero and or week one of college football? Well, let me ask you a question in regards to what you just asked. Are we talking about someone who is relatively uh, inexperienced overall, like this may be their first, possibly second season, or are you talking about someone who, hasn't done, who is experienced but hasn't done a lot of work getting ready for this specific season? I'm fascinated to hear both answers. So uh, is, is, if there's a difference between one and two, uh, I, I'll hear both sides of it. So let's say for someone, let, let's talk first about someone who's really, you know, a, a beginning better, who's starting work on college football today. I think uh, at this point, it's, it's so close to the season, it may be difficult to play catch-up, but let's assume for argument's sake that uh, they've been uh, getting ready for football season, say, since, let's say, the middle of July, which is not an unusual... unusual no, 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 no. This is someone, this is someone who... Uh, this, this podcast is the first thing they've listened to on college football so far this season. None of this beginning of July. You know, this okay, is the first okay, podcast they listen to on college football. Okay, I, I guess if this is like my first season or second season handicapping and I'm, this is the first podcast I'm hearing, let's say, I would probably suggest you as quickly as possible you get some of the popular uh, reading magazines. Lindy's is a, one that's not from a, a point spread perspective. Uh, I think Athlon is another one. That will give you a feel for the teams and the conferences, who's stronger, who's weaker than last year, which teams will be relying more on uh, transfers than on returning starters, which teams have lost a lot of personnel from last year. Those magazines do a good job insofar as getting you up to speed as far as what the team on the field is going to look like and how it may have changed and how much it may have changed uh, from what we saw last year. Uh, then there are other magazines out there. Phil Steele puts out one. Mark Lawrence puts out one. I think those are the two main ones that have a lot of point spread information and they talk about teams that, uh, uh, that uh, from a point spread uh, point of view is as far as that may uh, be good, uh, good value this year because they're better than what the uh, public will think it is, certainly in the 
early part of the season. And uh, to, to be honest as well, if you're just starting early and you haven't done a lot of work, and this would really go for newbies into the uh, betting and handicapping marketplace, is subscribe to a newsletter or two so you can see what those people who are writing newsletters looking to cash bets, not necessarily which teams are going to win the most games, etc. They, they will present to you some different perspectives of how games are analyzed, and as you become more experienced year by year by year, you'll know yourself what to look for so that you don't have to rely on outside help. But if you're just starting, I think you do need to consider relying on a little bit of an outside help, you know, maybe a little bit of an investment that will pay off as the season goes on, because you'll see certain patterns, certain situations repeat, but you don't know what they are quite now, as opposed to those who have been following this on a professional basis. Uh, and I, was, I used July as an example, but the professionals amongst us, uh, we've been doing it really since the end of last season, taking notes following spring games, which is a lot uh, of, of things to digest in a short period of time. Those, those, those first, the first set of magazines I mentioned about the teams themselves, and then the second set of magazines, which talk about points, but I think is a good arsenal to have, because you'll also end up, and I know you and I do it, we refer to these magazines, both types of magazines, throughout the season, just to take a look, for example, in the case of, uh, uh, of injuries, you know, how, how good, how much depth, how good are the backups expected to have been uh, coming into the season? Strong info from Aniusco. I wouldn't disagree with any of that. Uh, in fact, it's, pro- it's fairly similar to what I did. My first year out here in Las Vegas, I probably, had, uh, you know, I was not a winning college football better coming in. I'll just put it that way. You know, I knew something about betting, but I didn't know a lot about 131 college football teams. At the time, it was 120. Maybe it was even 116. You know, I knew the Big Ten, and that was about it. Also, the very first year I'm out here, I'm reading everything I can read. I'm buying all the magazines. I'm buying all the newsletters. And I'm watching every game that I can and taking notes while I'm watching. And to me, you know, watching the teams play is worth more than anything. So what my advice would be sit down and watch a whole lot of football. Well, let me want to mention one thing that you casually touched upon in your uh, initial reply, and that is you knew a lot about the Big Ten. When someone is starting out in this business of handicapping and betting, it's not a bad thing to specialize in one or two conferences and know what as much as you can about the 28 to 30 teams that we're talking about than all what this year will be 131 teams. And that means going on the Internet, taking a look at the school newspaper, taking a look at the beat writers' reports, Instead of doing it for 131 teams, you're going to narrow yourself down to, like I say, maybe uh, two to three dozen, and you'll know as much as you can on a week-to-week basis. You know, there's nothing wrong with specializing and learning on the other teams along the way, and because they might be surprised at how much effort it takes to get some information, absorb it all, and then learn to what to do with that information. Not all information is significant. Yeah. yeah. That being said, Google News is a very a powerful tool when you're looking for info on teams. You can Google the coach's name and the opposing uh, team's nickname, and you can usually find some good beat writers who you can then follow, and then you don't have to worry about the Google News as much. But um, strong info, always key for any sport. Now, you said you had a different thought process for someone who's a little bit more experienced when it comes to college football, uh, when it comes to betting. Someone who's an experienced better but hasn't necessarily done that much work on college football just yet. What advice would you give them differently than what you were giving the, the true newbie? 
it, it's not all that much different from the f true newbie, except that the experienced better has probably done about 80% of that stuff already by the time we get to uh, this point in the season. And at this point, and it's probably been starting for a good month or so, uh, you go over the. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to uh, assume, for argument's sake, that those types of, of betters keep power ratings or other ways of measuring one team against another. I normally start out uh, after the end of the previous season looking at where these teams were at the start of last season and where they ended the season. Did they show improvement or decline during the season? Once I do that, I then also take a look now at significant off-season uh, developments. Has there been a coaching change? Has there been a significant coaching change amongst the assistant coaches? How many players, how many starters, especially at the key positions, especially quarterback, are gone from last year? What was the depth from last year's team that's going to carry over into the current season? And again, a lot of these magazines now, I mentioned Athlon and Lindy's because those are the two primary ones that talk about the, uh, the makeup of the teams. Those usually come out uh, just following the end of spring practice and are on the newsstands, usually in early to mid-June. So you've got plenty of time to get that. And you go through all 131 teams. And of course, this year we had to add James Madison, which was not a board team last year, but was a member of the uh, the FCS, and they played a number of FBS teams over the years. So you go over those ratings that you have from last year, you try and make some adjustments, not necessarily significantly numerically as much as better or worse than last year. Is this team expected to be stronger? Are they expected to be about the same? Are they expected to be weaker? And then there will be some teams I really don't have a clue, and so you have to wait and see how things develop over the season. And of course, a lot of these early uh, lines come out in the middle to late part of June, sort of uh, coincident with the uh, magazines, and they start putting out lines for advanced games of the year, key matchups throughout the college football season, a uh, number of places put up lines for uh, uh, the first week of college football, and by that, this year I mean either week zero, which is this weekend, or the first really full weekend, which is uh, uh, Labor Day weekend, uh, next weekend, as far as uh, being able to get some guide as to what the lines makers initially expect those numbers to be, and there is some volatility, they will move, but see how they compare to the numbers that you put out, that you've developed, that you've adjusted. The adjustments are normally not that significant, maybe a handful of points at most, but you want to find out reasons if your lines are way off from what those opening uh, significant games are, because they'll give you a gauge to most of the, I'd say probably about 60 to 75 of the key teams in the country with either one or more of those games. See if you can compare your lines to where, uh, to, to be close to what the opening point spreads are, and if you're off by a lot, try to investigate why from the perspective of each of those two teams in the game. So, Andy, uh, I want to ask you this, because we've got about uh, 90 seconds before the break, but real simple. How long is preseason info good for? Are you going to change your opinion about a team after one game if what you read does not correlate with what you saw on the field or what the box score looked like? Does it take two weeks, or will you stick with your preseason takes longer than that? It all depends, and the problem we have with that is the college football season is relatively short, 12, 13 games for each team. So you don't get many opportunities uh, to wager. So sometimes you may want to sit out the first uh, week or so for a specific team uh, just to get a gauge. The, the normal, the general answer to your question is I usually like to see how teams perform against their first two uh, F, uh, FBS opponents. In other words,
words. I'm not going to, you know, uh, let's see, Duke's going to play Mercer. I'm not going to pay much of, a, of a attention to that game unless Duke happens to be upset as a significant favorite by a lower-level, less scholarship school. But I'm listen, Duke is going to play, let's say, uh, they're going to play Wake Forest and, uh, uh, let's say, Northwestern, okay, representative schools. I want to see how well they perform according to, according to the numbers that I have established for those two. And sometimes I will not change my numbers if they perform relatively close to what I expect. And that's not necessarily just the eye test, but also the numbers test as well. Uh, because that way you can tell. We, we know we're going to be right about many of these teams, and we're going to be wrong about a good number of these teams as well. So two games against, let's say, similar level competition uh, will tell me at the end of, let's say, that second game, have I vastly or slightly over or underrated those teams, and I'll make the corresponding adjustment. Cover It with Teddy Covers continues after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. There's nothing like being informed with all the odds, all the analysis, and best bets all day long. How do you get that? Real simple. Follow us on Twitter, at SportsGrid, at SportsGrid Radio, at SportsGrid TV. You'll get clips, breaking news updates, and pretty much everything else. Again, on Twitter, at SportsGrid, at SportsGrid Radio, at SportsGrid TV. You can follow me on Twitter, at Teddy underscore covers. And, of course, you can follow today's guest, the good Andy, Andy Isco, on Twitter, at VegasAndy711. Andy, we've talked a lot about concepts here. Now I want to talk about teams. Who can we make money with right from the get-go? Who should we be betting against right from the get-go? And we'll go through as many conferences as we have time to do it. Um, Let's start in the SEC. No conference is bigger than the SEC or gets more hype. Give me a spotlight team, someone you're looking to bet on or a team you're looking to bet against. An SEC moneymaker one way or the other. Who do you got for me, Andy? Well, one team I'm going to look to bet on until the lines makers make adjustments, if they do, is a team that has been a perennial power team uh, in the nation over the uh, uh, you know the past few decades. They sort of slowed down a little bit, and last year uh, didn't quite hit rock bottom because in 2017 and 2013 they had bad years. And that's the University of Florida Gators. They're coming off a season in which they were six and seven straight up, just three and ten against the point spread, which in Indicates the great extent to which they underachieved, and of course, uh, Dan Mullen no longer the coach. There were internal issues throughout the course of uh, of last season. Billy Napier comes in, who was a, a great coach down at one of those Louisiana schools for a number of years. Uh, was a good money maker while he was there. And I'm going to look for the Gators to be a team to play on more than play against this year. They showed, according to my power ratings, one of the biggest declines from the start of last season through the end of. Uh, uh, last season, and usually teams that show that much of a, of a decline rebound somewhat. They may very well be underrated for the first few games, so we'll get an opportunity to see if indeed the uh, the adjustments made by Coach Napier with the talent that he has, and Florida's always been a solid recruiting team, uh, come into effect. I think they will because, you know, it goes almost back to the original question at the top of the show about chemistry. I think we're going to see some very good chemistry, and the talent that did not perform to its level last year uh, will indeed do so this year. So here's my question. All right, Dan Mullen was 
a great head coach at Mississippi State, period. All right? That team overachieved every year. Then he gets to Florida, and now he's the worst head coach. Oh, and they get rid of him after three years, two years, three, you know. How does that happen? Like, how does a, a guy is a good coach here, and then he's a bad coach there? Um, or was Mullen not even that good a coach at Mississippi State, or was he not that bad a coach at Florida? Like, how does – because it, it happens all the time in college. Well, this guy's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. He gets his chance, and then he flops. Is it the coach's fault, or is it a lot of randomness in there? It could be the coach's fault. It could be the administration's fault. It could be the impatient alumni. You know, you go back a number of years for some coaches. Bill McElwain came in there. It didn't work out. He was highly thought of. Uh, he lasted, what, uh, two and a half, almost uh, three seasons. Will and then he goes to Central Michigan and wins. Yeah, so it may very well be the culture, and I'm saying, you know, Steve Spurrier had that great run, and then Florida dropped a little bit off that, but it may very well be the administration there and some of the uh, people that they have in place, maybe some of the boosters or whatever. So uh, I, I am more likely to go with the talent on a team like that. Certainly in the first year of a coaching change, I expect things to uh, go well, and of course that doesn't uh, that doesn't always happen, although uh, Marlins first uh, excuse me, uh, McElwain's first year of 2015, uh, the team went 10-4 and four after a couple of subpar seasons. So maybe we'll get the first-year impact. We saw Mullen in uh, 2018, his first year, uh, went 10-3. Uh, and three. So maybe it's just a question of impatience with the alumni. They bring in a good coach. He takes over talent. Maybe it ends up being that they're not the, that the coaches they've had aren't the greatest recruiters we thought them to be, but Florida is one of those teams uh, not quite like Alabama, but in the uh, vicinity of Alabama where the school recruits itself. Is Florida going to beat uh, Utah week one? They're two-and-a-half-point dogs. Utah? Uh, I haven't made a play on it. I would think that there's a good chance. I'm wondering how Utah will deal with not so much the travel, but the humidity they're likely to face at this time of summer. Yeah, the only way I'm playing that. I, I love Utah as a team for the season. Yeah, I'm not comfortable with this situation. Yeah, I'm and, waiting for a, a plus three a, all yeah. summer, Andy. I'm waiting for a plus three all summer. and haven't seen one yet. That's, that's my buy price. For. Yeah, that's my buy price in the Florida Gators. Well, let's although, talk about the. Although, because again, I expect a great effort. First game, new coach, and renewed renew, enthusiasm. There'll probably be a money line play in there. Uh, I went to plus three. Uh, <laughs> I'm not saying uh, I wouldn't play both. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the ACC. You talk about Florida as being a potential bet-on team out of the SEC. Give me a team you're looking to bet on or bet against in the ACC, a conference that looks to me on paper. All I see is teams I want to bet against in that conference. There's a whole bunch of them. Well, I know one team that, uh, uh, and of course, you know, all the news is out about who's gone and all that. Pittsburgh, 11-3 and last year. What was amazing about the 11-3 and straight-up record, they were 10-4 and uh, against the uh, point spread, which is very difficult to sustain. And I almost suggest that certainly in the early part of the season, there may be a little bit of overvaluation of this team. So that might be one team that I would consider playing, uh, playing against early. Uh, Wake Forest is another team that uh, had an unusually strong season. They had 11-3 last year, one of their best seasons. Uh, they may be a little bit overpriced because there seems to be a lot of parity uh, within that conference. I know a lot of people are looking at Miami. I also am enthusiastic about that team. They were just 7-5 and five last year, so this may be a team that uh, it may take one or two games at most to get a gauge on the Hurricanes, and that may give an indication as to how to play out their next five or six games. 
So I talk to handicappers. I mean, you know how it is, Andy. You live out here in Vegas. You're talking to guys all day long. I haven't heard one person tell me they like West Virginia this year. I like West Virginia this year. Anyone in the Big 12 stand out to you as a bet on or bet against team? Do the Mountaineers make your let's pay attention to this team list, or is there someone else you're looking to spotlight? Well, the Big 12, of course, is a very interesting conference to the extent that uh, a couple of teams are not going to be there in a couple of years. We're talking about uh, uh, Texas and uh, and Oklahoma, and I wonder how that's going to play as far as uh, uh, the their opponents this year who, uh, if I recall, that news did not break that they were switching conference until after, I think, the end of last football season. They may have occurred during the basketball season. Uh, West Virginia is a team that I do keep an eye on because it's always tough to play, especially down in, in, in Morgantown. Uh, so I will be looking for my spots to play on them, especially if they're uh, home underdogs. Texas uh, Texas has been a disappointing team the last few years. That may be a team that I might uh, uh, like to fade. You know, Sarkeesian may be one of those guys who's a great assistant coach, great, great offense coordinator, but not necessarily up to the head coaching job. So uh, that's a team that really disappointed me. They were another team last year that showed not, not quite to the extent of Florida, but a significant drop from their preseason power rating to their end-of-season power rating. So I'm likely to be bearish on Texas. With you, I expect to be uh, bullish on uh, on West Virginia. I'll be interested to see how the Oklahoma season unfolds, considering uh, the departure of Lincoln Riley, the quarterback, etc. Uh, if this team, uh, which has recruited well, is able to not necessarily uh, miss a beat. And I'm also looking for uh, improvement, and we saw them a little bit last year, 2-10 and, uh, and 10 straight up, and four Four seven and one against the spread, and that's Kansas. I like their coach coming over from Buffalo. He's now had some time to get familiar with the local high schools and the recruiting, and we know he's a good football coach. Uh, so I'm looking for Kansas to probably be a money earner this year. So you are the third guest in a row. Each of the last three weeks, my guest has come on and said, hey, there might be some value with Kansas this year. There might be some value with Kansas. And I've not heard the previous two weeks, so I was, no. you can't blame me being influenced. <laughs> I wasn't going to blame you. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that it's, I mean, I don't know if it's nice or not, because sometimes when everyone's on the same side, that's not necessarily good. But when you're coming at it from three independent points of view, who generally have you know, done some decent research and all that, and have followed these coaches throughout their careers, it's a little bit reassuring that you're not the only one going out on a limb. I don't mind going out on a limb, but sometimes it's difficult being the only one out there. Although the uh, times that you are successful, those are kind of uh, you know, self-rewarding. Yeah, I love being the only one out there. Like I feel like West Virginia is a team that no one's hyping. But the other two guests, by the way, was Brad Powers uh, and uh, Chris Andrews from uh, the South Point. Uh, Both talk of about whom the sharp opinions I greatly respect. Exactly. So, uh, you know, we're not talking about ass clowns here. We're talking about you two know, I'm, I'm talking real about sharp guys. I think like, like Brad, I think, is almost exclusively uh, 90% of the year spends on college football. So there's sure. someone who, while I'm working on basketball or I'm looking, you know, working on uh, uh, hockey or something, he's charting out the spring games and things like that that uh, most of us don't get a chance to do with the kind of depth that he does. Andy Esco. Give me a bettable opinion. I don't care if it's week zero of the games today. I don't care if it's week one next week. I don't care if it's a future, an over-under, an odds to win the conference. Give one bettable opinion, something you've got in your pocket that you want to share with our audience today. Well, 
I haven't quite gotten it yet, but I expect to because uh, as we approach game time, uh, Nebraska's got a lot of hype uh, for being a, a solid favorite, double-digit favorite in the game over in Dublin, the early starting game against Northwestern. Uh, this fits a number of situations I like. Uh, this has been a very competitive series over the last 10 years. I think, uh, let's see, there was a one-point decision, a uh, three-point decision, a lot of single close games over the, the nine years prior to last year when uh, uh, Nebraska routed Northwestern uh, in Nebraska 56-7. to Very humiliating defeat. It may have been the worst defeat in Pat Fitzgerald's career, or certainly amongst the top three. Uh, he's always been a solid coach, doesn't have the greatest talent to work with, but gets a little bit more than the most out of the talent that he, uh, that he inherits. And if you look, as I say, this has been a very competitive series. Everyone loves uh, 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 Nebraska in this game. We all know about, or many of us should know, about the close games that uh, Nebraska played last year. I think uh, I, was, I think maybe all of their wins were like by single digits, maybe except for that Western game. Uh, so you're asking Nebraska to, A, follow up last year's route with another convincing win. You're asking for them to do something that has not been done, that had not been done in more than a decade prior to last year, and that is play a game decided by double digits. And in many of those games, Northwestern, the underdog, uh, won outright. Not sure I'm going to play Northwestern on the money line, but I will be taking uh, 13 or 14, I guess, uh, when it gets up there. Sure, and of course, uh, we're seeing the money come the other way on that. There were 13s out there in the week. Now, back down to 11, even 10 and a half popping up at some of the quarter. I think there's still a couple of rogue ones that uh, I have my eyes on, but uh, I'll be playing them at least at, uh, at plus, uh, plus 12, at least. All right, so Andy, looking to get the best of the number or close to it with Northwestern plus the points against Nebraska in Ireland. Early start action today. Andy, promote yourself, my friend. Tell me what other shows people can find you on, what website. Uh, we got a little bit less than a minute. I do a show uh, each week uh, with Jimmy Ott down in uh, in New Orleans. Uh, I'm trying to remember the call letters there, but I don't have it in front of me. Here in Las Vegas, I do a show on Thursday nights with Ken Thompson on uh, 7:20 a.m. KDWN Radio. That's got a 50,000 watt station, and I have a website, thelogicalapproach.com, where I put up a lot of statistics. Usually starting in mid to late September, after about three weeks of action, uh, that people can use uh, some unique characteristics that I put in those sheets that aren't available elsewhere. Sure, the logical. Approach.com. It's been Andy's website for as long as I've known him, and he still has it now. Tons of data available for download. Andy, thank you so much for taking the time. Best of luck uh, in week zero and week one. I'm sure we'll talk to you again down the road. Best when of we luck come to back. You, Eddie, and best of luck to all of our listeners throughout the season. When we come back, college football breakdown. Stay tuned. Coverage continues. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. We're here in the home stretch of Cover It with Teddy Covers. Listen, if you missed any portion of today's program, if you want to go back and listen to any of the shows in the archives, I talked a minute ago about interviewing Brad Powers and Chris Andrews the last two weeks. Good, intense college football discussion with guys that know what the heck they're talking about. If you want to download this show, you want to download tomorrow's NFL show uh, with Adam Trigger, real simple. Go to anywhere where you download podcasts. 
all major podcast outlets, all minor podcast outlets, just search Cover It. Cover It with Teddy Covers. Download and consume at your convenience. Hey, it's week zero of college football, which means there's only seven FBS games on the board. So, no, we're not talking about a marquee matchup here. But there's absolutely one game that stands out to me. We've already seen the sharp money come on the over for Charlotte and Florida Atlantic. 7 o'clock Eastern time on the CBS Sports Network uh, on Saturday. Total sitting as we speak now about a 59. Charlotte's offense should be good. All right, They have a veteran quarterback in Chris Reynolds. They are the top three receivers all back from last year. All the top rushers are back from last year. The line uh, has four starters back. Florida Atlantic's defense, whew, they had some issues last year. They tried to reload through the transfer portal. I'm not convinced it's going to be great in week one. On the other side of the equation, all right, FAU, whew, they should be able to put up points in this ballgame. They've got four starters back on the offensive line. They've got a veteran quarterback in Nikosi Perry. They've got, uh, you know, good skill position talent, guys who can make plays. Got a couple of running backs worth paying attention to as well, including a Nebraska transfer. And you look at that Charlotte defense, and it's pretty dicey. You know, FAU scored 38 on them last year. I wouldn't be surprised if they get up and above that this time around. Put it all together. Charlotte, Florida Atlantic, look for that game to get up and over the total 59, the current number. That's the way I'm looking right here in week zero. And that's going to wrap it for Cover It With Teddy Covers today. We'll do it again tomorrow. Adam Trigger talking NFL right here on the Sports Grid Radio Network, Series XM, Channel 159. Stay on the grid.